Howdy, Wild Detectives. Howdy! I am so excited to see you all here. It is a beautiful night. It could be way colder. Um, if you are cold, I hear there are some blankets in the fridge. <laughs> I am so excited for tonight. We are going to hear from one of my favorite poets, one of Dallas's best poets in my personal opinion. <laughs> and as usual, we'll have a brief intermission after we hear from our feature, during which time I will solicit names for an open mic. I get the feeling it's going to be our really good open mic tonight, y'all. So be sure that you come and sign up. The list does tend to fill. It's a short list. It is one poem per poet. We like to keep it nice, respectful, and loving here at The Wild Detectives. Um, and I am so stoked to hear what y'all have for the open mic tonight. You know what? I missed a whole part because I was so excited. So I guess I should say it. I'm your host, Slogan Cure. <laughs> um, we do this every month, the second Wednesday of the month, in this beautiful backyard right here at The Wild Detectives. It is always such an amazing show. Every month is something surprising and great, and also so many familiar and <laughs> amazing faces. This is gonna be so much fun tonight, y'all. I'm gonna introduce our feature. Y'all are not ready. Lisa Huffaker integrates poetry, collage, book arts, and assemblage in many hybrid forms, from sculptural vending machines to a book of visual poetry created from a misogynist self-improvement manual. Her writing is published or forthcoming in the Georgia Review, Gulf Coast, Pleiades, Cincinnati Review, Diagram, Sixth Finch, Thrush, 32 Poems, and many other journals. Her visual poetry manuscript in progress was exhibited internationally as part of TU Delft and Cornell Tech's third workshop on obfuscation. Yes, I practiced before we got started. She is teaching artists in residence for the Writer's Garrett and a fine arts instructor at Oil and Cotton Creative Exchange. Find her online at lisahuffaker.com and right here on this stage. Please welcome Lisa. I am so glad you're here. I'm really glad to be here, Logan. So as you know, you gotta tell me something good. What's good, Lisa? Okay, I was thinking, I knew that she was gonna ask me something good, and I thought, what could I tell you? And I thought, suddenly, I, of course I'm gonna tell you that a good friend of mine at Oil & Cotton, June Covington, recently traveled to England and visited a farmer who knows all the sheep and gave her wool of, various colors because sheep come in different colors and so June spun this wool and wove with it and made things from and, and it's got brown and gray and white and all these black and all these various colors and she didn't dye it at all so that happens in the world that was all that's, <laughs> that's one of the things that can happen okay Will you tell me something good? I will absolutely tell you something good. Um, so, actually, the practice of asking people to tell me something good comes from my professor life. I start every class by asking my students to tell me something good. So I, I speak every single one of their names, every class, and ask them to tell me something good. And I've had people tell me, like, 
they get in the practice of having to think of it, right? Because they know I'm going to ask. So today was my first day back for the spring semester, and my good thing was tonight. <laughs> so with that, Lisa, we read some poems. Yeah. I'm really glad to be here, and glad to have the occasion to dig into my into the work and ask myself what's there and see some things that start to um, have conversations with each other and it occurred to me that what I've been doing for years on end is mistaking a kaleidoscope for a telescope and with that I want to open with a poem that's not mine but which has obsessed me for years on end. Um, Telescope by Ted Couser. You might know this one. Telescope. This is the pipe that pierces the dam that holds back the universe, that takes off some of the pressure, keeping the weight of the unknown from breaking through and washing us all down the valley. Because of this small tube through which a cold light rushes from the bottom of time, the depth of the stars stays always constant, and we are able to sleep, at least for now, beneath the straining wall of darkness. Yeah. Ted Cruiser's telescope has been on my mind, and I think there's reasons I keep thinking of it again and again. This is a poem called This Window. It's an altar, actually, or might be, if I knew who or what I'm praying to when I line up bits of glass to catch the tilting remnants of day between the double-hung panes housing so many spindly eight-legged thoughts and all their slanting silk. This is a trap for something. This is a love letter for someone. This is a mind. This is a lens. This is a vessel to collect something, collect myself and who I was when I ran the water, who I was when I washed a glass and a glass and a glass, and there was the sun, its colors broken into lights, and there was the sun, and it warmed me. And there was the sun clocking my life and how slippery between my hands it slid every fragment, a bead spinning on an abacus. And the little red jar of feathers, green and blue, my walk's unlikely windfall, the bounty of what my pocket collects given enough yellow afternoons. And though a kaleidoscope is the wrong instrument for astronomy, I lift it to my eye, and I swear Polaris is always where I left it last. Polaris ladled out of the edge of the dipper. Polaris pinned on the whirling map. Polaris, axle of the wheel. Polaris, the spindle, the eye, the throat of the flower. Polaris, out of whom the angels pour. Stars yet unstruck. How long ago 
those lights, hiving a solitary spiral circle dance, flung their billion bells in centrifugal symmetry, stung in silent galactic least unsinging shoals, distant along eaten wastes spilled forth, down frozen rivers embroidered, down the night, down dark, hungering vasts. And eventually those lights find us, whose music had died out before our dust began even to yearn and coalesce. Before there was a sun, those long dead suns flash their genius eyes as ceremonial candles launched downriver, given and received in blindness because light travels so slowly. How could we feel to mourn them? How construct any possible vessel to hold an absence, inconceivable absence, unbegun as nothing, yes, unbegun in the mind's unthinking absence, yet Eventually, those lights find us, whose gone music rings. Those lights, they find us. Here's a little sonnet called Magnificat, or Magnificat, depending on whether you're singing a Latin or a German version of the Magnificat, Magnificat. We sing like this so we can hold our breath inside something that doesn't have to die. We solve ourselves, which is a kind of death, like algebra. We whirl inside the eye of Bach's unerring storm. The mirrors tilt in spirals. We ascend the gleaming stair to voice a perfect double helix built into the central pivot of the air. This ringing cleaves us open, slits our heart and bleeds us of whatever we can give. All emptied out and spent, we fail the art, then live what life is left for us to live. As notes themselves, like all the singers, die but leave that ladder whirling in the sky. Next poem is called Light Walker. Do you know what a light walker is, um, theater people? A light walker, as it turns out, is just somebody who's gotta go stand there while the lighting designers adjust everything with a real human on the stage. But doesn't it sound grand? Wouldn't you want to be one? I, if you do, um, you can look up the Dallas Opera right now. I saw an ad. They will hire you to be a light walker. And they will pay you $5 an hour. <laughs> light walker. My voice teacher grabbed me in the hall. New vanity when he saw it. Said, hurry. Opera Idaho needs you now. <laughs> Nobody told me why or for what. I followed someone onto the stage. Ah, finally. Then for about an hour, I stood there alone, 
while the sun rose in that great sibilant darkness. Blue into violet, flushing rose to vermilion, then sunrise, blinding and golden. A voice in the faraway said, turn right, turn left, center. Step forward, step back. Then I was dismissed. Years later, I hummed for butterflies vigil, watched from the wings, while dawn broke over her doomed face, our humming the night she would watch through, our humming the elegy for the blindfold she would tie over her son's unquestioning eyes before unwrapping the knife, elegy for the crimson blooming through her kimono's white silk. There is not space in the body for that kind of a hum. The hum Puccini asked for, floating above the staff. Not with my mouth closed, no. There was not that kind of space. And now I am wondering was there ever enough space in my body for what light does, for what waiting does? Space enough for the kind of night one must relinquish to even lesser vigils. Space for the slow, unslowable flood of ordinary daybreak and all that is bound to break after that. <clears throat> I'm beginning to have my doubts, you know, about all the things, and about the project of art. And so I've decided we write through that and work through that. That's one of the things we can do. Archaeology. It won't do, will it? Not anymore. <clears throat> to look at something, I mean, and expect what? That any given piece of the world unlocks the world. Like that amulet Indiana Jones fished out of the fire and mounted to the staff so the sun could slide through the jewel. And what isn't a jewel? I would have asked you once. Yes, so the sun could knife its beam through the aperture and burn an answer onto the ground. Spell it out. Walk this path. Dig here. Dig anywhere. Yes, anything can be the oculus, I would have said if you know how to align it. Anything, nothing exists that cannot sing like the mouthpiece of the gods. I swore it, no leaf too small to be that frigate to bear us lands away. No snail shell too slight to spill out a whorl of stars, whole galaxies, so praise it all. 
Oh, I am forever grabbing the golden idol, switching it out for a bag of sand, stealing the sun, dashing through the darts, sure enough of my booty to roll faster than the boulder. You know the scene. You know the scene. You know the music, too. How thrilling to believe. I didn't know what opacity, what silence could stop the windows, bar the doors, shut me in with the dusty bones of other seekers. I found out we all do. Don't listen to me when I sing about the sublime or anyone else who sings the sublime don't. We are broken, us seekers. Don't look, keep your eyes shut. It is our ghosts rushing like a blue whirlwind out of the golden box to melt your flesh like wax. Words for a resonant space. Oh, beauty, be sad with me. I know for all your flowers you cannot unbreak the broken world, not for all the prisons you align so skillfully with your graceful hands like birds to sing along the lit window, no. What is dismal will be dismal still. What is shabby will be shabby still. And what is more, it will be inside us canker and cancer and inescapable. Because in opening, we are left open. In ringing, we are left ringing. Once we merge with the universe, where is there to run? Oh, beauty, was, was it when you walked by my side under the arching trees or later in my quiet kitchen, you said the word despair? laid it before me together with joy. And all I could do was receive those gifts, marvel at them as I marvel at anything you give me. Yes, and side by side on a balcony once, oh beauty, I sat with you and you wept in my presence. Oh, nothing could shine as your tears shone. Oh, the space around you was a cathedral, and your face was all its candles, and oh, beauty, your face was its shimmering alcoves and its shrine and all it stained glass. And you let me kneel there with my heart lit, praying 
but I cannot by praising you undo the great undoing, which must and shall undo us a nothing. Nothing shall not be undone. And so I beg you, give me your hand. Be near me. And let us mourn. Let us mourn. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. So before the show, we were talking a little bit about what these poems are, um, <laughs> this series of poems, and you said you were noticing the links between them, and I can hear them. Um, lots of light, lots of music. Talk to us a little bit about the things that you discovered as you looked at these poems. I have been thinking about inner space and outer space and how, and, and reliving childhood experience of being in my grandmother's house, looking at a kaleidoscope and um, thinking of it as looking out and how all my life making things um, has been, you know, hoping to reach out, 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 and really make me going deeper, deeper in, and seeing those things shuffle, you know. I love in um, those of us who make visual art and those of us who make poetry, we all are doing that thing, that substitution, right? That's what a, a simile can be, and, and a metaphor it does it even better, where you don't announce that you're about to make the switch, but the switch happens, then there's those extended metaphors where the kaleidoscope is in your hand and it's a telescope, you, you know, where the pipe pierces the dam that holds back the universe, but it's really the telescope where we see those substitutions happening. And I've just been seeing um, the images are, are coming around and asking me to look at them again. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> and these poems have been happening alongside your other major project I talked about briefly in Lisa's bio. The, how is it described again? I think you'll describe it better than me. <laughs> so I, um, I, there's a book, it's, um, it's a self-improvement book called Fascinating Womanhood, and it's everything you think it is. Um, it's, it's, it's a gospel of self-limitation, and it was written by a woman who shares my religious background, and I found it at a really form formative moment in my early life, and it made a, an impression on me because I could point somewhere finally and say, this is wrong, I can't. Con no one would have to condone this. And so, um, when, so I, I penciled a little, rebuttal and, and put it back on the library shelf and walked away and lived my messy life for decades and thought about that book. Then another, then a copy of it came my way. I found it at a thrift shop and, um, and about three years ago started, I, I guillotined the spine off first. <laughs> I mean, it was not without alone was why I could keep doing it. I had tried this project before, but not until I guillotined the spine 
could I start in on it? But what I've been doing is going page by page and trying to excavate what I wish had been there. And I found, first of all, that I couldn't just say, oh, that's garbage. Let's find something much more empowering. Let's refute it. I found that I myself, uh, my own self, doubt was, was embedded in it and that I would have to, and it have been and will still be, dealing with my own you know, internalized doubt. Um, and so I've been transforming it page by page into visual poetry, which I would share with you tonight, but can't because I realize more and more that the poetry that's there is not just the words, it's everything that the, the physicality of the book itself, the, um, it's uh, the, the images that I'm using, and especially the direction lines. Those of you who've seen it online um, know that there's this white line you've got to follow from word to word, and that is part of how we get the meaning. So one of these days I'll share that too. Um, I could yammer on, and I'm not going to yammer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little confused because I thought you were going to share something. Not from that project. Not from that project. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Well, we will get some examples of what you're talking about. Yes. We're yes. going to see. We're going to see a couple, uh, four visual poems in a while, in a moment. Yes, and you'll get a you'll get a cameo from my you get to see um, when that gets set up. So, be looking forward to that in a second. So. Yes. So I actually use your poems as examples in my classroom. I told you this before. I teach creative writing. And I'm so honored. Y'all have seen like Blackout, Erasure, those kinds of poems before, right? And that there's like beautiful tradition of all of that too. That's amazing. Um, and I, I teach students that. And usually you start there. That's like, a, that's like an easy place to start for those of you who are interested in this kind of poetry, right? Easy place to start is like find something you're mad about and like get a Sharpie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Lisa's are like completely next level. The combination of the visual art and what she's talking about with the paths on the page is just like layers on layers beyond really anybody else I've seen who's, who's done, who's tried it. Logan. Um. <laughs> Logan. I want I want to say one thing, and I okay, this this might be bragging, but do it. okay, <laughs> something happened a couple of days ago. I discovered that somebody wrote a scholarly paper about it. Hell yeah, of course well, they did. And she called, she said what I was doing was mutilating the source text. She used the word mutilate. Oh, tear it up, I like it. And I, I came up, <laughs> and I, thought, I felt that it went with the guillotine idea. But she used the word mutilate. Yeah. I am thrilled for you. I think that's I, a compliment. That was, yeah, I did too, I did too. Yes. The other thing that I, so the thing that I mentioned today to my students because I was telling them how excited I was for this show is the Z Machines, which were also mentioned in Lisa's bio. What's your elevator pitch for the Z Machines? Okay, so White Rock Z Machine. Okay, who contributed to White Rock Z Machine? Would you please wave a hand? Oh, I love you so much. My contributors to this project. So there were, there are these vending machines that sold baseball cards and I transformed them into selling, now they sell books of art and writing, and there was a period of time when we were having all these amazing launches of these zines, and people made gorgeous, gorgeous scenes. Then the pandemic, kind of everything kind of shut down. Now there is one right now at Oil and Cotton, and we have a, an Oil and Cotton zine club that has been making 
zines. And there's, um, so there, if you go to Oil and Cotton, you can get a hot new zine from our teen zeners, zine, zinesters. That's amazing. Yes. Yes. No, it's the, it's the best investment you can make for, for a quarter. quarter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the thrill of like turning the little crank and like, yes. just, it's so, it's great. You really do make so many magical things that involve so many of us. I'm really glad that you asked for like the show of hands. For, for my podcast listeners, it was a lot. And I, I think that kind of work is really important, the kind of stuff that, that brings people together. You, in fact, let me mutilate your atlas. <laughs> okay, here's what happened. Logan had this beautiful poem, and she was going to make a zine, and she wasn't sure what she, she was going to do, but it was about a road trip, and I had an old atlas that I had replaced, I mean, it was dog-eared and it was falling apart, and so she took this thing and she found all the map pages that followed the road trip that was chronicled in the poem, and she used those as the pages, and she made this beautiful scene. It was so beautiful, I loved it so much. Yeah. And that zine machine sat in deep vellum, and I had people put in a quarter, find me on Instagram and then like DM me to be like, I totally enjoyed this. And that is like the magic, right? That's the yeah. whole thing we're trying to do. So I don't know if I ever told you that last part. Did I ever tell you about that? It's wonderful. It is wonderful. Um, so thank you so much for that experience. I am gonna, I could ask you nerdy questions all night. I would really love if you would read us some more poems. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Earn it. We've all heard that, haven't we? Earn it. Poem, earn me a flower. No, earn me whole gardens. Earn me light in the garden, a moon maybe. Earn me a moon, earn me willows, earn me a fountain for them to fall in. Earn me stars, earn me reflections of those stars. How much ugly would that cost? How much concrete, how many bleak confessions? How many stillborn loves? How many roach-infested second-floor motel rooms? How many moldy bath mats? How many governments gone carnivorous? How much sexual loathing? One flower. I would settle for a leaf. Earn me a leaf. Ah, but these are not mine to grant, says the poem. And your moldy bath mats, your roaches, Aren't they flowers in disguise? Okay, poem, earn me a re realization. Earn me insight. Let the sky open. I want it as sincerely as anyone ever did, I swear. I'm willing to cut out anything. Adjectives, self-referential bullshit, hunger, lust, image drunken indulgence, anything that veers toward cliche, which is probably everything. I'll cut it all out. Cut out my tongue, cut off my hands, pluck out the eye that offends. Yes, I'll make of this page a white cell to mortify the flesh, and after I mortify it, burn it, make this an absolute cremation of my ego and all my desire and keep myself quiet somehow, shut the hell up the whole time I swear until I'm gone. Only give me, I beseech you, one flicker of lucid right-mindedness, a wisdom no matter how slight, even if there's nowhere for it to land, my mind having incinerated to nothingness. Well, our time is up. That's all for today, says the poem. Did incinerated feel a little forced? <laughs>
Do we feel maybe a little proud of that force? I can see we've raised some charged feelings today. You're welcome to take a few cleansing breaths out there in the waiting room. Take your time. Take as long as you like. <laughs> Voice lessons. This is dedicated to my great teacher and our longtime chorus master of the Dallas Opera, Alexander Rome. The voice is organ of speech. Say it a thousand times with a Russian accent. Voice is organ of speech. Maestro, I got so sick of hearing it. And body, I grew weary of your truthfulness. Body, you polygraph, you seismograph. Any regret, any fear, all my shames you broadcast into space. My whole aching life, the stumbling wreck of it. I stood naked, inside out, organ of speech. At least my liver keeps its poisons to itself. <laughs> Maestro, you shook my rib cage into 24 separate bones. You hung my skull like an apple from the stem of my spine. You wrenched open the fused hinge of my jaw and unclamped my hands so I could not protect my throat. You commanded, open. You commanded, speak. Whenever my tissues could not dilate, you found the adhesions and pressed on the scars. Sometimes you went in with a scalpel. Maestro, you were merciless, and Rossini was merciless, and deathless Mozart and all the pantheon of composers, so merciless. And music itself was merciless. Yes, but music, when it moved through that broken space, Sometimes I could cry with light. While we're on the subject of failing at music, let's read Grand Piano. To imagine it gone is to lift a shadow from the floor. Flood this room with absence, and that too would be holy the echo where a great thing was. I could stand in the space where its dark mass once shuddered and shout into that void, or actually someone else could stand there and shout, since I would no longer exist, but whoever it was and whatever they shouted, how wondrous. Yes, anything that surges out of non-being into being is a miracle. All that isn't this gleaming weight the black wing levitating so heavy in a place numberless other entities might have held and didn't. Because this, this is what was. I am forever conjuring up that black horse, trying to ride it somewhere. It has carried me sometimes. As a child, I stood in a bright field and it sniffed my ear, snorted and flared. I swear by my life it approached me, willing. My hand reached out for the shining keys, and they disclosed themselves, showed me 
how to turn them in the locks. From that, the circle of doors. From them, the glowing sphere with its weathers, its oceans. I hung in space, tethered by something, then lost the reins almost always. Did you ever see a horse's satin flank ripple and twitch to buck off a fly? That's how Beethoven gives up on me. I land somewhere off to the side, stunned, something still ringing, seeing stars. It turns out a lot of these are about music. <laughs> surprise, surprise. As a person who spent, God help us, about 20 years teaching music to really young people, there is something that happens to me now and now and then, which is that someone will come up to me and say, oh, you were just like Julie Andrews' character in The Sound of Music. And I say, okay. And I love her. I love her. And I don't know what to make of it. And I, and I have a lot I want to say about people who work with children being mistaken for children and all of that. Um, and then I really thought about that movie and thought, what if I broke it open the way that, or what if I read it the way that a union would read a dream and all of the parts of it were me and all of it was speaking about my own inner life. And I thought, what if that was how I saw all the music in that movie? And so I wrote a suite of poems called, um, a short piece is called Of Music. And I, I want to read them all in a row, so let's just read all, all of them in a row, and I'll put it down when I'm done. Of music. One, the sound. I swear it is all of it live and ringing, hills, grass, woods, water, the rocks, the air, all of it, everything majestic and fragile forever, this is my level best. I too am singing on this earth while I have my small life, which by comparison is nothing, but while I have it, I will thread it through these white birches where bells upon towering bells call me to my calling, which all my stumbling life I have been trying to answer. Two, a problem. The thing is, I never have fit anywhere. I do apologize something about me. I am so sorry. I just can't pretend my heart isn't exploding. I've tried to cloister it in discipline, in effort, in good intent, and always haven't helped me out. It flies in like flocks of starlings screaming alive, 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 and I cannot help it. I am the bride of the sky, not a bride exactly, no, a sworn lover. It holds me down, rolls me against the earth, summons everything in me, strong and ravenous, to push back, wrestle hard until I'm spent. Oh, sky, you fill me with progeny. It grows heavy in me until it's a matter of life and death. Oh, now I shudder and sweat to deliver something too gigantic to contain. Three, confidence. 
audacity, a suitcase swinging from each hand, ridiculous belief driving you to gates at which you have no right to knock, and who on earth do you think you are? Quit now, you have toads in your pocket. There will be spiders in your bed before nightfall. 16. The first time you stand in that dark gazebo, the sky will break. And never was there rain like this rain. No one can prepare you, and oh, lovely, it will show. Once it happens to you, your dress a transparent wash. Your hair streaming joy and hurt also is coming for you. Run, run toward it, run as fast as you can. Five, a few things. Teacups, watermarks, laid paper, a perfect bone folder, teeth slicing into ripe melon, a dress with pockets, the glow of leaves, with the sun behind them, each a small lantern, paper lanterns, any lantern, pungent tomato vines, a complex yellow and solitude, every spiral staircase, fountain pens, typewriters, egg beaters, flour in a sieve, the deep silence of snow, of libraries, of closets, of velvet drapery, of the moon, of the moon's sweet sadness, its habit of following you, and the lonesome wail of trains, of loons, of winds, and anything, anything, anything blue. Six, solfage. It is not so simple, is it? No. And what the world adores would prefer instead to be understood. So let our work begin. Let us build something, shall we, some edifice out of these sound stones. For they are sound enough for architecture and doesn't the miracle deserve to be housed in us. Let us make of our ribs cathedral space. Oh, my dear ones, watch my hands. Here is the stone. And now the ascending plane and now a landing and now a climbing aspiration, and now a fullness, and now a rising lift, and now the magnetic urgent needle po pointing surely home. Seven, lonely. Oh, I know how crazy I look, but do you know what it is? I am singing how nearly impossible it is to fly this fast, this high. I have no choice, otherwise I would do something easier. I know I look ridiculous, all these effigies of myself. I keep dancing like dolls on strings. Why doesn't she slow down? Why doesn't she put some of it down? But everything will unravel, tangle to knots if I do. I do this because it can be done. I can do this because it ought to be done. I am its servant somehow. This whole opera is master of me simply because it exists. And I I have it in me. Eight, clean and bright. Small wonders, sweet notes, oh stillness, ringing like bells, like stars in the grass. Wash our eyes, cleanse our ears, make us better, forgive us, breathe us new. Teach us roots, tenacious and tender, how to sing from this soil and belong to it. Nine, every mountain. All the love every day, every day of your life, for as long as you live, every day, every day. All the love you can give for as long as you live, every day, every day, every, every day. 10, something good. 
How imaginary, what an architecture. What a tracery, my darlingness will never keep out the night. Whose stars are every one of them blind, every one of them, a holy doom. Look me straight in the face, dead on I ask you, will we ever know anything? And if not, will you face that with me? I swear to you, these trees have seen what stars never can. I have it in me to love you utterly. And now, my lady, with your gracious permission, I will do it. 11, farewell. This clock is in us. We ourselves are the clock. We ourselves, can you feel the cogs turning? How invisible wheels revolve, how the gears mesh and once meshed, turn the sky and we ourselves are the sky. Can you feel it turning? And how when night falls, we must go on foot with what we can carry and scale the harrowing pass and it will be difficult, oh dear ones. Watch my hands first, this stone. And now the ascending plane, my darlings. And now a landing. Breathe, beloveds, we don't have long. For now the impossible climb, and now the fullness under bursting. And now the perilous liftoff. And now the piercing, oh my beloveds. Now the more magnetic holy needle urging forever and ever, driving us surely home. So Lorelai is going to bring, thank you, Lorelai is going to bring the easel, and I will now have a nerdy moment <laughs> in which I'm going, to, I'm going to just show you, okay, I should say this. So working on my book, I have transformed every page by now, some of them more than once, and I'm wrestling, wrestling with the order, trying to figure out how to get this thing to be a book. And meanwhile, I learned a whole lot in that process and um, decided you know, I'm going to keep doing this when the book is done. And I started working on some other things and have made other erasures. And I have this wonderful old um, two of the volumes of the National Encyclopedia of Reference from, I think it is 1918. And I thought, okay, if you could make an Ars Poetica in this form, well, what would that look like? And so I'm going to show you four of these pieces and you won't be able to read them from here, but you'll be able to see kind of what they look like. And I'm going to try to read for you. For you. Oh, gosh, i got to look. There's always the red arrow. Oh, I'm going to go like this. The red arrow, which means we enter. Think of this writing as an intervention or eclipse. We simply eliminate the non-luminous, obscure it by the interposition the mind's elliptic shadow. Think how little is known. All we must do is speculate deeply on the subject of being and know even less. <laughs> I learned to, I, I started to make these things that I call ligatures, these lines, because just doing that with the Sharpie, um, when I was working with that horrible book, it is badly written. There's not a lot of good poetic language. So I had to, a girl has to learn how to move to get anything to go on. So this is another, I guess these are all Ars Poetica type things. Okay. To build a collage 
arrange excellent papers like a fleet of ships or horses. Count them like silver coins. Wind them up like clocks on fire. Sometimes we don't know which direction to go first, but we have to go. Anyway, draw a careful comb. Draw the time. Draw antique battleships. Draw a train. Draw the absence of images. Draw a, a member of the royal family with an erect steeple <laughs> of hair. Draw expressive personages. Draw a war over beauty. Draw a pair. Draw 300 lines. Draw a waking state. Draw a concerning specimen of bodily matter. Draw a common prophecy. Draw a simple spoon scooping poetic fire into a number of small holes. And finally, for the body, spiral vessel coiled round the simplest worm there is. For the spirit, for the cold sake of stilled bones, for the sake of wasted time, and also for the air, for sea water and rainwater, and seawater, and rainwater, and seawater. For this distillation and purification, this being constantly renewed. For the cold liquid trickling round the worm as it absorbs our heat. For all this, and for art, surely, we could bend a little. Thank you. I am so glad we figured out how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Those were beautiful. Could y'all like see it? Could you tell? Yeah. <laughs> yes. My podcast listeners, I'll, I'll like give you a link to where you can find Lisa's work online. Those were gorgeous. Thank um, tell us what is next for your work. Okay, next for the work are, well, so next for the work is me figuring out how to get this book to be a book. Um, I'm in the midst of that. And, and also tomorrow night, starting rehearsal for Romeo and Juliet, and I get to wear this thing. It is an iridescent shot silk peacock blue gown, and, I, and we all are going to the ball in Venetian carnival masks. Come see Romeo and Juliet. That's gonna be so much fun. Yeah, yeah. And oh, here's also what's next. I wanna invite anybody who's interested in coming. I'm gonna be giving a workshop at Oil and Cotton for visual poetry. Look, at, look it up. There's still some seats open for visual poetry on February 4th. And also I'm giving a workshop on altered books. We're gonna mutilate some books. Yeah, mutilate. Mutilate. On March 30th. So Oil and Cotton, look, look us up and come find me and, and we'll wreak some havoc on found text. Yes, if you like anything you just saw, go to those things. Yeah. <laughs> Will you close this out with one more poem? I'm going to finish. forgot I was going to read this. And it's not a poem, Tim. He doesn't think it's a poem. 
It's not a poem, it's an essay, I say. Where'd it go? Yeah! It's an essay. Look! <laughs> and because it's an essay, we can also say it is nonfiction. It is the truth. Things I've done while singing on stage. Peeled an orange. Died under snow. Died under a falling temple. Died on the burning slope of Mount Vesuvius. Died of shock or sorrow, unclear which. Danced the Charleston, danced the Fandango, waltzed too many times to count. Made lace by fiddling hopelessly with antique bobbins. Ate peanuts, chopped zucchini, pointed accusingly. <laughs> Gazed grievously upon the occupant of the scaffold with a chopping block. Spread rumors, false. Spread rumors, true. Cavorted over a coffin while we're wearing a wedding veil. Practiced palmistry. Shopped for Christmas presents in Paris. Begged for water for my dying infant. Threatened a man with a rifle. Scattered a dozen red roses in slow motion. Demanded human sacrifice. Climbed Everest. Descended into madness. Smuggled eggs past customs officials. Ate stale raspberry tarts with a knife and fork. Scattered lotus petals before the Egyptian queen, got caught in human trafficking, got caught in stage traffic, underestimated the circumference of my own hoop skirt and or the hoop skirts of my colleagues, roosted my enormous bustle on the edge of a dainty chair, rattled the city gates with pails swinging from my milkmaid's yoke, huddled for warmth in Moscow while we're sweltering under layers of wool, summoned bail, delivered mail, moved furniture, throw confetti, fought, slept, danced alluringly in a sexy costume while being ogled by colleagues for whom I felt no sexual attraction, pretended to make out with colleagues with whom I felt no sexual attraction, <laughs> suffered starvation, crawled on my knees in rags holding a religious icon above my head, popped out of a structure resembling an easy-bake oven, pranced with, with ribbons around a maypole, drank to excess in taverns, waged war, searched my, the battlefield for my lost lover, eavesdropped, sold figs, reluctantly approved my daughter's marriage, gasped in horror, implored the heavens, crossed myself, Catholic style, crossed myself, Orthodox style, prayed to the moon at Stonehenge, chain-smoked cigarettes while burping a baby, paid money to burn a girl's hand over a flame, dripped candle wax on a man's chest, held up a severed head while exposing my leg seductively, combed my hair seductively, spat on a blind man, fed grapes to a sergeant while performing a lap dance, suffered seasickness, climbed a spiral staircase wearing a lime green fox pelt, tripped, fell, forgot words, French, Italian, German, Spanish, Russian, English, Latin, and Czech, smuggled cough drops in my corset, fled the stage in a fit of coughing, sprained my finger and hid the fact failed to conceal my disgust when a tenor spat in my eye. <laughs> Summoned actual tears on cue, cried about something unrelated to the opera, cried because I was moved by the opera, cried because my helmet hurt, daydreamed, mentally revised my grocery list, tried to make out faces in the audience, thought about someone in the audience, thought seriously about what I am doing with my life, experienced a wardrobe malfunction, witnessed others' wardrobe malfunctions, pointed out an intentional wardrobe malfunction, realized part of my costume was still upstairs in the dressing room, disdained urchins while adjusting my pearls, brawled in bar rooms, scorned disreputables through my lorgnette, wielded a farm implement as a weapon, attended the circus, attended the bullfight, attended the ballet, attended an opera within the opera, spoiled the coronation, balanced precariously on a 
tilted cube 20 feet in the air, feared for my actual life when the walls closed in, feared for others' lives when the trap door gave out, feared for all our lives when the staircase lurched underfoot with the sound of splitting wood, gazed into the crystal ball, noticed the chandelier was made of plastic spoons, noticed one of my castmates had farted, farted myself and hoped no one noticed, made way for the carriage, made way for the chariot, made way for the ram carcass, made way for the man on stilts, made way for the fire juggler, made way for the giant wooden horse, descended from the clouds, stormed the palace, stoned the prophet, gambled, cursed, got arrested, got saved, played the tambourine, woke the dead. <laughs> Thank you so much. One more time for Lisa Hoffman. Y'all, that was gonna be fun. <laughs> we have reached intermission. This is the time to sign up for the open mic list. Remember, it is one poem per poet, so bring your best. It does fill, so if you want to be on this list, let me know. Also, take a minute, smoke a cigarette, buy a book, buy a drink. Tell Lisa how amazing she is. You'll probably have to get in line. For my podcast listeners, I will see you next month. Thank y'all. Woo!